In 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter writes, But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. An economist read this passage and had a conversation with God about it. He said, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for us is like one minute to you? The Lord said, yes. The economist said, then a million dollars to us must be like one penny to you. Well, yes. The economist said, will you give me one of those pennies? The Lord said, sure, wait here a minute. We're all waiting. We're all waiting for something. Sometimes that waiting seems to last a thousand years. We may be waiting for simple things like to get together with a friend or with family members. We may be waiting to read those best of annual newsletters in the, that come in the Christmas cards. We would be remiss in not recognizing that some of us are waiting for December to be over, hoping that January will bring relief from grief and depression. Some of us are waiting to die, having lost our zest for life or physical abilities or loved ones. Some of us are waiting for the right moment to make a confession of love or of sin. Some of us are simply waiting for the end of this sermon so we can sing a hymn and go home. We're waiting. That's the whole sense of the church season of Advent. Waiting. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Think about it for your own life. What are you waiting for? This week's theme in our transformation journals that our small groups are working on is Jesus and contentment. While there's no calendar correlation between the journal and the liturgical year, waiting and contentment have much to do with each other. We can be content to wait. We can be. It's probably less likely than when we're impatient as we wait. But we do have a choice. I've realized that more as I've gotten older. Have you? I used to not think I had that choice. I was just impatient all the time. But, you know, we can restlessly tap our fingers or jangle our pocket change or press the car's accelerator to get to where we're going. Or we can stop, simply stop that and make a mental decision that we're going to wait patiently and that we're not going to be in such a hurry. Usually, we can't speed up things anyway. One piece of memorable and meaningful advice given to me by Harry Gamble, our pastor emeritus, was this. Whenever you have even a moment to relax, take advantage of it. 
waiting patiently and being content are connected by probably several things, but at least by trust. When we are waiting patiently, we trust that we will eventually receive that for which we're waiting. We trust that we'll receive change from the cashier as we stand there at the register. Or we trust that our sweetheart will return safely. Or we trust that God will offer the guidance we need when we need it. Today's psalm, of course, is from Jewish background, where they would often lift up their hands in praise. And so the beginning that says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, carries an even greater image than just the body raising the hands. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. And later, verse 5, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Following these expressions of trust and devotion, the psalmist petitions God to take an eraser and blot out the memory of the sins of his youth. Do you have sins of your youth? Come on. My mom tells my husband that she prayed me through more boyfriends. We all have pasts which we would prefer that God not remember. The writer trusts that God will respond. With divine mercy and steadfast love. Because the psalmist has experienced these things before and trusts that God will respond in like manner now. The psalm urges us from thousands of years ago, urges us even today to trust. There's scientific evidence now that people who trust more live longer and healthier. Trust. It's pretty easy to trust that God will supply our needs when we've always had more than we need. But perhaps for most of us, there's a tension within us. Even though we recognize, we've just been through Thanksgiving, we recognize all the wonderful things that we have in our lives, but there's a tension because there's still something within us that's discontent. Because we always want more. Our Transformation Journal notes that Howard Hughes, one of the wealthiest men of all time, was asked how much material wealth he would need to be satisfied. And his answer, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Always just a little bit more. Well, who in your family is making out Christmas lists? Do you remember taking a catalog, 
flipping through those pages, writing it down. I remember it was the best catalog for me in the Sears Wish Book. People are making Christmas lists all across the country and the world. If you read that comic strip, Baby Blues, yep, this week, the kids figured out a way to shorten their letter to Santa. They simply asked for all the presents in the world. Well, my list of wants is still long, even though I done growed up. Trendy clothes and Comfortable matching shoes, a Mustang convertible, a charter plane to fly me over to see my sister. Well, that should go along with a cute pilot. Sorry, Brian. It could be you. That's on my wish list. A couple of million dollars to fix up this building. That's on my wish list. Now, there's plenty that's monetary. And then there are also things probably that you would like as well. More time, a greater level of generosity, a feeling of contentment without feeling static. There's a tension between wanting to trust God to provide me with what I need and that interior discontentment that makes me covet what my neighbors have. I wonder if you struggle with that same tension. In a commencement speech given about six years ago at Emerson College in Boston, Ted Turner, multi-billionaire, talked, talked about success. He said, it's all relative. I sit down and say, I've only got $10 billion, and Bill Gates has $100 billion. I feel like a complete failure in life. So, he says, billions won't make you happy if you're worried about someone who's got more than you. Now, this holds true not just in that monetary arena, which is so in our face this Christmas season, But it holds true with spouses, with kids, sometimes with jobs. If we're not content, if we're always thinking about who else has something that we want, if we're not content with who we are, it's very hard to be content with what we have. John Rosemond a family psychologist and syndicated columnist. We have him in our paper every couple of weeks. Rosemond polled middle-aged parents, asking them how many toys they had when they grew up. And the answers ranged usually from one to ten. Most of them responded, toys? We took a cardboard box and made something out of it. Now, Roseman says that the typical American child of five years of age has accumulated 250 toys. Now, since five-year-olds have lived for only 260 weeks, they're apparently accumulating about one toy a week. Jim Nicodem asks, so where does the contentment come from? 
Does it come from having more toys? Does it come from going to more movies, from eating out more often, from enlarging our wardrobes, from escape of any kind? No. The obvious question, the obvious answer, no. Contentment comes from within. It's an internal disposition. And we know it, he says. We just don't live as if we know it. On December 21st, 1891, the same year this church was being formed, Dr. James Naismith invented, anyone remember? Basketball, yeah. He invented it to lead other young men to Christ. Tony Ladd is a sports historian at Wheaton College, and James Naismith is the grandson by the same name. Both say that the inventor had spiritual motives when he invented this game. I didn't know he was both a physician and an ordained minister. But he had joined the International YMCA Training School in Springfield, Massachusetts. Because they had cold weather and because the guys weren't getting exercise, he tried to think of something that they could do inside, some sort of inside sport they could play. So they had a gym. And Naismith asked the custodian if he could find a couple of boxes. No luck. But he found a couple of baskets. And Naismith placed those on the gym railing, 10 feet high on either end. He sat down and he wrote a list of 13 rules. And basketball was born. And it spread, spread rapidly. But here's the thing. Naismith was content with the spread of basketball. He didn't ask for a patent. He just wanted something that would encourage people, that would strengthen those young boys' mind, body, and soul. That was enough. He created and then he gave. It's the spirit of Christmas. But that goes against our typical society. It's hard for us to want to invest significant time into something that, in which we can't make a dollar or two. The spiritual problem is that it seems that God rewards greater those who give more. That's our spiritual problem. So I think Advent can really be used as a time to prepare. A time, perhaps, to prepare to become more generous. We're certainly given plenty of opportunities for that around the holidays, aren't we? Did you know that poorer Americans give a greater percentage of their income to charity? Time magazine reported that in 1998... Those who earned under $10,000 gave 5.2% of what they earned to charity. 5%. Those in the $10,000 to $20,000 range gave 3.3%, almost a 2% drop. 
And then jumping way up higher, those in the $75,000 to $100,000 bracket gave 1.6%. Again, almost a 2% drop. The more we have, the more we want. And yet, that contentment, it comes from within. I think that's what Paul learned. Shipwreck here, prison there, getting beaten up, having to slide out of the city at night. Hungry, cold, tired. I have learned to be content wherever I am, he says. Earlier in Philippians, he says he gave up everything to gain Christ. Gave up everything in order to gain Christ. Now, I think that there's a measure of grace involved. There has to be because we can't be perfect. We can't give away everything. We can't give away all our coats and clothes because then we'd freeze and we couldn't help anyone else. So I think God is with us even in our discontentment. But as we pray, as we search, as we call out for God and ask for God's direction, that contentment can come through the grace of God. Just a little bit more, maybe just a little bit more of God would be what we need. Let's pray. Hear our prayer, O God. We have come here desiring you. Help us to put you on the top of our list each day. We pray in the name of the Christ, Jesus. Amen.